Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Today, meet a human rights lawyer who first visited one of the countries that she works with when she was just 17 years old. She was in Afghanistan without her parents' knowledge. Uh, she founded an organization, the US based SAHR, that stands for Strategic Advocacy for Human Rights. And while she was studying law and working with Afghan women's rights lawyers, to defend rape victims who were prosecuted and imprisoned. After law school, she moved to Afghanistan uh, at just 23 years of age. So today in Influence, meet Natasha Latif. At 33, her mission is to help bring justice to survivors of sexual violence in Afghanistan and all around the world. I'm Michelle Martin, and this interview is part of a special series featuring speakers in collaboration with the Peak Magazine's Next Gen Leaders series. Welcome, Natasha. Tasha, how are you this morning? Hi, Michelle. I'm so happy to be speaking with you. I read about you as well yesterday, so I'm really, I'm really happy to be connected. Oh, wonderful! All right, Natasha. For the benefit of our listeners, can you share with us the? Can you describe the kind of law that you practice, Natasha? Yes, sure. Um, I practice um, human rights law. Um, that, of course, encompasses a lot of things, including women's rights. But I specifically, with my team, specialize on sexual violence, so that you know spans from everything from rape, sexual assault to sexual harassment, virginity testing, and um, we decided to focus on this because this is the area where um, injustice is most prevalent and pervasive, and more needs to be done. Fantastic. I wonder if our listeners can get to know you a little better. Natasha, can you take us back to the start of things? I understand your mother's a receptionist. Tell us how you forged your own path to reading law. And that didn't happen here in Singapore. You spread your wings pretty early, right? Yes, I, I, I'd say early on, I knew I, I wanted to become a human rights lawyer. Perhaps I didn't use that term, but you know, I grew up as a teen in, in, in a post 9-11 world. There was this rise of militarism, which metathized and women's liberation was used as a rhetoric to meet military ends. And I was voraciously reading uh, the biographies of Saddam Hussein and Gandhi and bin Laden. And it, slowly I started to become exposed to the work of human rights lawyers and through a, through a show at BBC Talking Point mm. uh, uh, on radio, I, I thought, okay, it's it's in England where these issues are being discussed. So at 16, I decided I'm going to go to England and I'm going to study um, human rights law. And, and, and so that was it. <laughs> and that was it. And you created your own path. You wrote to schools yourself? Yes, I had to convince the principal to give me a 90% scholarship because he only gave me an 85% scholarship. So the negotiation started at an early age. <laughs> That's wonderful to know. So you weren't actually going through the, the usual organizations here. You weren't relying on schools to link you up or, you know, um, applying for an SBH scholarship, for example. You were writing directly to schools in the UK yourself saying, I want to attend and I want you to give me a scholarship. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I, 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 know I come from a neighborhood school. I'm not a, um, a president scholar. I, I, I don't have all A's. Um, I'm not the cookie cutter, uh, brilliant Singaporean gifted student. So I had to find my way um, into my path myself. And I'm glad I did because it yeah. was a different one and allowed me to explore um, my area of work in, in my own terms. 
And clearly, the power of your pen showed up early at age 16 because uh, you moved some of those principles, right? You got two scholarships, is that right? That's it. (laughs) Well done, well done. All right, you visited Afghanistan at age 17 without your parents' knowledge. Now, I know that you take cases in South Sudan, in Vanuatu and Colombia as well. But what has prompted this lifelong interest in Afghanistan in particular? Well, you know, as I said, um, as a teen, I was growing up post 9-11 world and um, I, I, I really wanted to read and to learn about what was going on in the world. The internet age had come into the homes. So we had the dial up. I was on online for half an hour every day. And then this opened my eyes into a new world. And I was talking a lot to my uncle about this. And he said, you know, you can buy whatever books you want if you want to read about these things. So um, that's when I started to read more about Afghanistan. Both my uncle and I, we sponsored a child there. She became a pen pal. Then I decided I wanted to see her. And so at 17, I, I went. I, and in that, and it was that trip that I decided, you know what, this is, this is my life's path. This is my life's work. And so it has been that ever since. We're meeting Natasha Latif in Influence today. At 33, she's a human rights lawyer and she works to bring justice to survivors of sexual violence all around the world. So you married a refugee. I wonder if you can talk a little about how your relationship has deepened um, through your personal connection. Has that deepened your relationship with Afghanistan or any other countries because of this personal connection? Yes, certainly, Michelle. I think you've touched on a very, very right point. Um, uh, it's it's become more emotional and personal because of also my husband's relationship to his country. And if you've read his story, he he fled um, during the communist occupation. Um, his family had seen some beheadings and a lot of killings, and they fled into Pakistan. And 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 he lived then, you know, a part of his childhood life in Germany. When the U.S. occupied and invaded Afghanistan after 9-11, he came back to rebuild his country. And um, it was then that I met him at 23 years old. I met him and I married him within six months. Mm. And um, and through it's through his eyes that I also um, uh, get, get to understand his family's history, which is very much tied to the work that I'm doing now, his mother's experience, his sister's experience. And uh, that connection is is. Is is important um, and it's critical because it's it gives you a drive, it gives you a, a, a reason to 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 keep pushing and not to give it up. Wonderful to hear. So, where are you joining us from? Are you joining us from here in Singapore? Yes, I am. Okay, and he's originally from Afghanistan. Your husband, right? Mm-hmm. So, how does that work? I mean, is he based here now? Yes, yeah, so um, I, I I took him back with me uh, <laughs> in 2015. So we were there living to, living there for for about five years, and he was there for longer. And unfortunately, I, during the, the the last elections in 2015, uh, there were consecutive bombings on our streets, and one hit right outside our house. And thank God we were not in. But it was within three days of that um, attack. I think there was just there were just too many attacks um, happening, and uh, you know, we, <clears throat> also as a human rights lawyer, you experience your fellow colleagues um, um, dying out of an attack or getting imprisoned, and so there were, it was a lot of weight on me. And uh, I decided to return back 
um, to finish my bar, I kind of left my education midway and I brought him with me a year after. <laughs> well, I'm glad he came along. Singapore is richer <laughs> for it. I wonder if you can describe some of the standout cases of your work around the world, perhaps. Sure, Michelle. Um, all of the cases we take are high-profile sex offence cases. Um, and when we mean by high-profile, I mean we, 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 we contest cases against governments, against warlords, drug lords, very influential perpetrators and stronghold religious organizations. Um, so these are not your, your usual um, suspects. And these people have auxiliary armies. They have tribes that protect them. Um, and they use all means necessary, kidnapping, abduction, killing and assassination, to stop the work from moving forward, to stop their cases from being tried. And, yeah, and so th- this is the, the type of cases we take. And um, the, the work involves, you know, both investigation and prosecution, but we also try and leverage the, gu- leverage the cases to, to, um, to, to, you know, to draw political compromises, um, if that's the only way things will work. Um, in, in my work, because most of these cases involving very powerful people mm. are inscribed in failure. You know, most of the, the cases we go into, I know we, we may not win in court. So the purpose is, can I get him out of office? Can I make him a fugitive for the rest of his life? Can I um, make it impossible for him to travel outside the country? Can I freeze his assets? Sometimes that's the bar for success, and we, we, we just try always possible to, to make life inconvenient if we cannot imprison the guy. I wonder how COVID has impacted your work because, you know, if you're talking about taking on a tribal warlord, or, you know, you're talking about dealing with people who maybe don't have Zoom connections. So how has COVID impacted what you do? It's, a, it's been a big impact. I, I think it's made the, the, the problem of violence against women and, it's, and, and, and all of its manifestations more pronounced. Yep. So this has always existed. Now it's become more pronounced. In the, in the sense that if you imagine that public services have discontinued, they have ceased operations for some time. And there was a one time we, during a, a massive trial, we had 30 prosecutors in Afghanistan die from corona. So this was, a, this was such a big deal for us because these are some of your best people. Yeah. <laughs> some of the, the, the brain of the country, you know, since because of the war, it's been a brain drain. So you've got the brain of the country dying um, because of Corona. And, and so, what, so what these powerful people do is that they use that opportunity to intimidate witnesses and, um, and, 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 and assassinate people. And yeah, and so they use that. And so what we really try to do is to convince the courts to, to push the cases forward, even um, with, the, with the attacks. So what we've tried to do is to get circulars passed, to have uh, evidence be admitted via video and, you know, try and use technology. It's very difficult in Afghanistan where half the time you don't have electricity. So, but we, we try and find all ways possible and in some ways we've been successful. So one of my favorite interviews was when I met and interviewed Afghanistan's first deputy speaker of House Fawzia Kufi. And, um, you know, she works tirelessly and in the course of her work, of course, she shared with me the threats yeah. that she faces. And I wonder if you can share some of the threats that you and perhaps other advocates you know face in the course of such work. Yes, I mean, Fawzia, Fawzia Kufi, she, I mean, she's constantly under under threat of an assassination. And, and so are a lot of our peers. And 
you know, the, 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 the threat that women human rights defenders face, it's, it's a very unique threat because it's, it's very much gender-based and sexual-based. So the threat um, that they, they face can, they're manifested in very, in ways in which it's hard to prove, number one, and then there's access to the justice system and public services, medical attention, access to the police that's much limited for women. Um, you have high surveillance measures, so sometimes um, my team and I, we, we, we know that we're big, our phone is tapped. Our conversations are being listened to, so we have got to change our SIM cards, change our phone numbers. Um, you've got to alter your directions to work. Sometimes you've got to change the office hours and work from home um, and so, or disguise ourselves when we you know, go to certain spaces and go through security protocols. Um, so all of this is, is, is it's now become part of life, I think, uh, for a lot of women, human rights defenders, the only thing we can do now to continue to work because the space for this work is shrinking drastically. Um, and with political changes, um, specifically Afghanistan, but not too much different from the rest of the world, you've got the, the rise of right-wing fascism um, mm-hmm. that's made it even more difficult for us to push um, what they term as socialist issues, the right to health care, the right to education, the right to public participation. And so I feel that it's, it's, it's become worse. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the assassinations and attacks are not properly investigated. You never, you, you never later find out who's done that. And, and, and it goes into impunity. Natasha, from your perspective, when it comes to human rights, or perhaps gender equity, can you highlight some areas that you think is most in need of attention? The areas we need for attention, it's, it's everything, you know, it's, we, we, we can't place attention on, on, on just the justice system instead of health or just the education, education system instead of livelihoods. More money needs to be pushed into this. I mean, mm-hmm. you would be surprised to think about the, the money that's around in the world and the resources, mm-hmm. how much of it, it is a negligible percentage of it actually goes into women's rights and gender equality, which means that education, livelihoods, health care, um, and the justice system, these are all underfunded, under-resourced sectors, um, which, which, which has an exponential effect, not just on the women, but on the communities that they serve, right? Their children and their families. And so all of these areas, they need simultaneous push. And the reason for why that may not be happening is because the people up there making those decisions are mostly your white middle-aged men. So, so things need to change systematically and drastically for, for all of these um, impacts to, to, to be potentially realized in the future. I'm speaking with Natasha Latif. She takes on cases to do with human rights and sex offences around the world, from Afghanistan to South Sudan, Vanuatu, even Colombia. What is your advice, Natasha, to a young woman listening in and she would like to pursue a human rights career? What do you say to her? I say go for it. Um, you see, as I said before, right, the, the multilateral institutions that are dictating the human rights agenda, they're mostly staffed and composed of white middle-aged men. There is a space for young women, a much-needed space for young women, because the experience that you have, especially if you're an ethnic minority, a religious minority, uh, if you have a disability, if you belong to some sort of marginalized group, your experience is, no different, is, is, is so different from, from others. And so they cannot, they cannot speak your reality and your voice. And so that's, that's very important that that they have a place in the place on the table that's making those decisions. 
also part of what we do as an organization and in, in all of our spaces is we insert ourselves. We demand to be heard and we demand for our agenda to be recognized. And so I, I, I definitely champion young women who want to pursue this career to go in full force, mm-hmm. not be afraid and, 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 and step into your power. There's a space for, there is a space where you've got to take that space. Well, I've loved speaking with you. Speak your reality, you say to young women, and I hope they hear you. Thank you, Natasha, for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. Take care and have a good, good one. You too. She's Natasha Latif, just 33, a young lawyer who's founded two legal organizations. And you heard her there so passionate about doing her part against human rights injustices and sex offenses around the world. This interview is part of a special series that features powerful speakers in collaboration with the Peak Magazine's Next Gen Leader Series. I'm Michelle Martin. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.